Hey, Jason. Hey, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I am doing pretty good. So, um, I, you know, we, we got to dig right in. We got, we've got time constraints, but you know what? Constraints lead to innovation. I don't know if you are aware of this or not. I am. Okay. So the first article that we have as we dive into this. Got it. It's a big one. It's, it's a, a much stuff in this article. Well, that, talk about it. This is an article uh, called Public or Private, The Future of the Telco Cloud. Yes. Mark Newman, who is a chief analyst at TM Forum, says two or three. This is a quote. This is a direct quote. Two wow. or three years ago, most operators would have agreed. But positions are softening because they are having such problems evolving toward cloud native on their own. Now, in their own private cloud, they are more open to approaches from public cloud com- companies to find different ways of doing it. There is particularly urgent discussion around 5G core. Some operators are starting to deploy now and are putting some core functions in the public cloud. Uh-huh. What do you think of this? Uh, this article and as a whole, this quote? Uh, well, I, you know, the uh, cloud native term, I, what do you think cloud native means? Uh, my guess about cloud native is that it was des- it was designed and purpose built to run in the cloud, and not something that was modified or More rigged to, to work there. <laughs> that sounds good. I think the uh, you know there was this cloud native computing foundation, uh, you know that has attempted to have a definition for this, and the how far off was I? You're close. Okay. You're close. Uh, but they tend to say, you know, build and run scalable applications in a modern dynamic environment, such as public, private, hybrid, quote unquote, clouds. But the whole idea is, how do you have something that works well and is resilient and observable and manageable and automated and all the all the fun, typical things we think of? But basically, how do you have an application that just works when it runs in infrastructure of um, variable ownership? and variable um, capabilities, you know, essentially, right? You know, so it's a little bit of this idea of how do you start having a practice where your stuff can run anywhere? Uh, is, that what, is that what you mean or what is meant by variable ownership? Well, variable ownership is if you sat down and you said public, private, hybrid, like, like this, this article we say public or private, okay? So my basic problem is why is there an or there? Why isn't it saying public and private? Why are you distinguishing even between these two things? What really is public? Isn't public cloud just a cloud that's owned by Amazon, Microsoft, Google, or some other company? Sure, it should be transparent, that part of it. Something you own? You know, meaning the public or private debate never goes and solves, like, the fundamental issues of what does it mean to do cloud? And so so I, I think in this article, why don't we step back to just a little bit of like what what what's what's cloud from like my perspective you know in that and when i look at cloud um it is highly accessible industrialized infrastructure and, and this is something i literally would say god i don't know 16 17 18 years ago now right you know meaning if you sit down and you say cloud is supposed to be different than the way that enterprise IT was, you know, 20 years ago. Well, how exactly is that, that difference? You know, and you can start with little fundamental statements. It's highly accessible, industrialized infrastructure. It is what traditional enterprise infrastructure, sort of pre-2010, I guess, is not. 
but there's a there's a there's a there's a lot of power in just saying highly accessible industrialized. Um, and then there's something operational that happens. You know, it's this I, the idea that infrastructure emerged as its own practice. So the idea that you actually have people that are lifecycle managing your infrastructure, right, 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 structure. The fact that you have something like an SRE organization that's doing stuff on the infrastructure that's separate from sort of what runs on top of it. So you know, this basic separation of I need to make my application work on anything, regardless of what's basically sitting underneath. But if you look at those those core initial principles of highly accessible industrialized infrastructure, being highly accessible has consequences to all non-functional aspects that you do. And so, so you know, and what I mean by non-functional is, you know, I mean, well, it's the classic ISO Wikipedia definition of non-functional. Right. Functional features, right? So functional features in your product are something that carries out a function. Non-function are things where it's not carrying out a function. You know, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not something you're going and doing. So non-functional, non-functional aspects are things like automation, governance, uh, your tenancy model, utilization, predictability, your entire security framework, how you're maintaining everything like that. And so literally when you go and you say, um, there's there's even a ISO twenty five thousand and ten that's got this is what non functional characteristics of things are <laughs> and it is accessibility agility audit and control availability backup backward compatibility capacity certification completeness compliance configuration convenience dependency deployment documentation disaster recovery ease of integration educational efficiency effectiveness all those things uh, and when you sit and you say the transition into infrastructure as its own practice and having a highly accessible infrastructure, you know, something that's meant to be used by multiple organizations and span security domains, that accessibility hits, of course, availability, convenience, ease of integration, fault management, fault tolerance, how flexible interoperability, you know, inter interoperability integrity, the observability of it, performance, uh, platform you know, compatibilities, quality, Reliability, resilience, response times, robustness, safety, scalability, security, stability, system comprehension, your unit economics, all of that gets affected by the fact that you just decided to make your infrastructure highly accessible. Because a lot of the times in most enterprises, when we don't have highly accessible infrastructure, when it's through, you know, the typical sort of, you know, what we think of as a 20, 20 year ago type enterprise IT approach, that was a let's limit accessibility. And that's what our security profile is. Let's limit accessibility and only put one thing on there. That's our tenancy model, right? And so once you decide, let's have highly accessible infrastructure, that accessibility change impacts everything. So there's a lot that comes out of just cloud is highly accessible. Second one about being industrialized is you can always look at capabilities versus, uh, you know, like uh, unit economics, and, you know, when you sort of sit down and you draw a graph, you could say, well, my capabilities, you know, either go up or go down or they stay flat. My unit economics go up or down or stay flat. And they can be linear. They can be exponential. Right. And when you go that, there's basically like 16 different possible ways these things can combine, a bunch of which would be terrible. Like your capacity goes exponentially down. Your capabilities go exponentially down while your unit economics go exponentially up. That'd be terrible. Right. Um, but when you go and you say, quote unquote, hyperscale, hyperscale is a particular set of three scenarios. And those three scenarios are where your 
capabilities exponentially increase and your costs stay linear, or your capabilities stay linear and your costs exponentially decrease, or your capabilities exponentially increase and your costs can exponentially decrease and you're trying to play as far down that curve as possible. Uh, you know, so when people sit down and say, I'm not going to go do cloud, what they're really sort of saying is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out a way to exponentially increase our capabilities in this footprint while keeping my costs flat, right? Or they're saying, I don't really have a bunch of increased capabilities that I need, but I'm going to exponentially take cost out by having a different practice in what we do. Or if you're sitting there and you're an Amazon, Microsoft, Google, you're trying to stay as far out in that type of curve where you're just really increasing what the capabilities are and the capacity and really constantly trying to drive down, you know, unit cost, you know, in each of that, that, that sort of decision that you're going to take that type of industrialized approach means the introduction of supply chain thinking to where there's continuous improvements in technologies and output and unit economics, all within a certain operational model. And when you think of it this way, there is no public or private. You know what I mean? I think I get it. I mean, how do you were talking about uh, Tennessee models? So how does that fit into the public versus private part of the discussion? Great question. A lot of times people sit down and say private. Why are they doing private? Uh, well, uh, because they have weird procurement rules and they're keeping the tenancy at one. Right. Right. Um, and so if you look at this type of thing where we said cloud is highly accessible, industrialized infrastructure, uh, it impacts your technology choices, how you're operating, and the culture of your teams, right? So that's like literally what, what happens. Now, um, the tenancy question is a great question because there are three hard things that people don't do when they start doing cloud, quote unquote. And, you know, the three hard things uh, that they don't cover is multi-tenancy. How am I going to be dealing with a distributed system? Right. And now I have not just my data and my apps, or my apps are fundamentally executable data. Now I have a lot of metadata about what's going on, meaning data about my data. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, but a good example of this is if you just look at, um, if you just look at your, the tip of what you think of metrics and monitoring, that's mm -hmm. metadata about your infrastructure. It's metadata about your apps. Right. When you're in, and, and the thing is, is when you start looking at distributed systems, aggregating all the metadata about how that distributed system is working and how well it's performing and what it means when it's on different things owned by different people in multi-tenant environments and stuff like that. Metadata management becomes a big, big issue. I mean, there, there are people where the way that you go and architect your cloud, if you will, you could go and put metadata requirements on it that require an infrastructure to do things with that metadata. that's larger than the cloud you just built. <laughs> No, but <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I go and I build a cloud over here, and this is where I'm running the apps. What percent of your total infrastructure is going to be around the automation of that and the metadata around that? Is it going to be 10%, 15%, 50, 100, 200, 300, 900? You know, if you're sitting there and saying, like, I'm running a network and I'm going to go collect all the metadata about the network, 
and you're saying, oh, well, how much metadata is that? Oh, it's like four terabits per second. Okay, so you just get the words that going to go. <laughs> you know, it's right. a lot. Of, you know, and so these these things are, and and I, I think and I think that's where I always get triggered when I see public or private. Okay, or come on, public or private. It's like this like low level bullshit conversation that continues to go on. You know, in that when if you sit down and you say, how are we doing highly accessible? industrialized infrastructure, infrastructure is its own practice. And what's really our strategy around multi-tenancy, distributed systems, metadata, and stuff like that. Those are the three hard things people never do when they go and build a cloud. And then the hardest thing, as I say all the time, is again, your current organizations mirror your current architectures. And everything is set up in the organization to execute on what you have and what you have been doing, regardless of how you think or feel about that state. Factual. And so there's this type of thing where, you know, like big, big item number one, I always cover with people around a cloud transformation is, are you doing the hard things up front? Right. Um, the second one then is it, it comes down to how do you start having a lexicon that allows you to go and talk about this? And, you know, that means you're talking about tenancy. You're talking about your strategy around data. You're talking about how you're doing distributed systems. You're talking about how continuous becomes a word you use everywhere. Continuous integration, continuous deployment, continuous delivery, continuous monitoring, and stuff like that. And you have a strategy that's not about just software, just hardware, but the interplay between these two. You know, that you can go and do things with software and say, ah, you know, and, the, and we're seeing this play out right now with like quantum computing. You can sit down and say, well, we have something that it would be so much faster if I could only be on this type of hardware. But the hardware doesn't exist. Or you sit down and say, well, now that that hardware exists, geez, we can write software that's never existed. And so just because you go and adopt cloud doesn't mean you have to ignore like what's going on in, in the component world or the operating systems or sort of anything else like that. And then how you automate everything, how you optimize everything, how you instrument everything, like all these things change. And so, um, you know, you have that type of stuff you have to do around the cloud space and you rarely see those kinds of issues covered in articles uh, like this. And, and I think that's what that's what ends up like irritating me. Sorry. So no, yes, it's great. For public cloud, public, private, you know, it's, it's one of these, um, I think a lot of the, so there, there's nothing that I find like offensive about the simple statements like on-demand resources, reliability, automation, scalability are big, big things in cloud. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, they are. <laughs> but if you start heading into the whole, how do you get operational around cloud? I've always, you know, and what we developed back in say the join days, I've always talked about, you have these 10 plus two steps you need to do. And that is like, I want to go step, step number one is I want to see what our data model is for this cloud. And that includes like how you're doing unified data collection. You know, do you have the ability for an SRE organization to rapidly do like arbitrary analysis of, of, of any sort of operational element? I mean, capacity planning, performance, security, you know, what your economic needs are. Um, you know, but there's a lot of things around what is our data model for the operations of this cloud. Second thing you have to do is you literally have to have a, a, a strategy around accessibility. How you're externalizing it, the ability to distinguish operators from tenants, tenants to tenants, uh, have this apply to each and every layer. 
like you really actually have to have this accessibility model that's scalable and, and is a distributed system itself and everything else like that. So you should have literally a document that says our accessibility strategy. The third one is you have to have a global network design. So you got to literally sit down and go from like L1 to L2. Uh, here's our plans. Uh, it includes IPv4 and IPv6 acquisition strategies. It includes where, you know, like natting is applied. And then the thing that then you have your L4 to L7 plans. And my expectation I tell people is I want to see a day zero to year 15 plan for like, what are we going to do in our network? Like a minimum 15 year network plan that's got all life cycle and generational milestones. How are you going to go from 25 to 50 to 100 to 400 to 1600 to 6400 gig, et cetera? All physical network design, all cabling, all components. What are we going to get for supply chain? Like you have to do a global network design. Number number four, you typically got to go do is you got to go do a, a physical system design. Like how are we going to design all these things? Number five is then you're going to design your compute and data equipment. So, and that's like what ratios of things are going to go on what type of chassis are going to do a different chassis design, you know, everything else. Number six, you go, you have a power design and strategy. So you literally take your global network design, your physical system designs, your compute and data equipment designs. And now that you have sort of a target rack, row, pod power footprint and so on like that, then you got to have a global power design around your availability, that power, the sustainability of it, the carbon footprint, unit economics, where you're going to put this geographically which then feeds into number seven, which is in your data center facility design, where you're doing build versus buy, geographic distributions, we put it on a cloud. Data center facilities get into a even more fucked up life cycle strategy. That's a 30-year plan you got to come up with there. Then you got to go plan your supply chain and everything you're going to do into that. And then all these things roll up into a global operating model, a global financial model, your security and data privacy design that you're doing, and then your regulatory design and strategy, terms and conditions. And so, you know, what's funny is if you really sort of sit down and say, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do a cloud. I'm going to be an operator of a cloud. Mm -hmm. You're going to do this 10 plus two steps. I mean, imagine design your data model, design your accessibility strategy, go do a global network design. That's a 15 year roadmap on it. Do a physical system design, same thing, compute data equipment design, same thing. You know, what's your long-term power design strategy, which then feeds into the geographical spots that you're in, which then goes into a 30 year data center plan, which then plugs into your supply chain design and strategy. All this rolls up into a like programmatic global operating model that's being driven by software, a programmatic global financial model that's being driven by software, and then you actually have a strategy and design around security and data privacy and where you're touching regulatory elements and what you're doing from a terms and conditions and what you're signing up for and how you're contracting and everything else. It's a non-trivial effort. It's a lot more than just going and buying a fucking Kubernetes license. Sorry, rant over. No, it is good. <laughs> I think this is what people tune in for. And that, yeah, yeah, but but it's it's. Um, I mean, th this should say you know a good title for an article like this, not public or private future telco cloud. It should be about uh, one. I you know I I don't know. It, it should just it's typical. It's 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 yeah. It's like oh okay. You know I mean you you could this article you probably publish it. 10 years ago and it would literally read the same. Okay. So obviously you gave us some examples of what we should be thinking about and how our plans should be working. Why? I mean, do you think that, do you think that the industry as a whole is still thinking in a way that is a little bit dated, even though it's focus and edge is, is a new technology? Uh, well, I mean, edge is also a thing where, where I think, and this isn't just an issue in mobile network operators or the like, I think a lot of people 
think, well, let me say this. Most people do not have long-term technology strategies. Um, they, they basically don't have long-term technology strategies around why they're doing something, which then what you're feeding into it is different ways on how you're going to accomplish it and what tools you're going to use and so on. A lot of people tend to have very short-term technology strategies based around how they're doing something, not why they're doing it. So what you find in, and it's not just operators, but you find a lot of short-termism, right? Now, I think when you have that short-termism, what that means is you end up doing everything on three, five, seven, or 10-year blocks of time. One way to think about it is it's almost like all your change is generational or quote-unquote transformative. Mm -hmm. So somebody comes in, I'm the CIO of this, I'm the CTO of this, here's my three-year plan, I got to achieve 40% savings, get to the three-year plan, that person leaves, another person comes in and says, oh, I got to come up with a three-year plan too. <laughs> and I got to distinguish myself from the last guy because the last guy, if he did well, I want to do better. And if he wasn't doing well, I want to do better. Right. So I'm probably not going to do what he did. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a transformation project. Another three-year plan. And then what's funny is if you've ever been in a company where you've gone through a couple of these guys, when you get to the third one or the fourth one, it's back to the first one's fucking plan. <laughs> right? Natur it naturally finds its way back to that or they, they adopt the first one's plan because they say, you know, that actually wasn't so bad and they're now far enough removed that the now, stigma of going back to it is, is, is removed. It's a little bit like this. If you leave your house, if you leave your house, okay, um, and you want to like get back to your house, yeah. you go up first intersection, what do you do? Uh, you, you, go, turn, you turn right. Okay. And then when you get to the next street, what do you do? I uh, keep going straight. Turn right. Okay. And when you get to the next thing, you go left. Now, are you right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed. Okay. So some people sit down and go up to the street and they'll turn left. And they'll turn left again. And they'll turn left and go right. Okay. They're still like, they're still, they just took different paths. Right. Still on streets. They're still doing transportation. They're still trying to get home. And so I, th I think, you know, when you start thinking about we're trying to go accomplish the following things for these reasons why. Okay, the reasons why, you know, they don't change much. You're trying to do things better, faster, cheaper. You're trying to get back home. Like, like, like you know, there, there, there's this. And then there's somehow, you know, these big technologies that come along that you think somehow it's about let's go adopt that. I mean, a good examples of these things are let's go adopt blockchain. Let's go adopt AI. Okay, why? Like, why? why? Why go do these things? Now, in the case of AI, it's a good example, is um, the whole domain that sits in is how do I optimize something and how do I care for something? So, so purely adopting some technology doesn't solve the problem of how are we better at caring for something and better at doing something. So you have a long-term strategy around how do we optimize what we do and how do we better care for all of our stakeholders? You can have a strategy around that. And that strategy will include how you're collecting data, how you're analyzing it, how you're actually learning from it. 
uh, whether it's people learning from it, whether it's a machine learning from it, whether it's a particular technique learning from it. The thing that doesn't magically solve your company is whether you've adopted AI or not. The thing that like solves your company is whether you have a long-term strategy around how we're getting better and how we're caring for things. And we're plugging in different technologies over time as those things show up, and we have a sophisticated way of doing that, right? Uh, and so I think things tend to be very short-term. And then the consequence of short-term is that everything you do is generational. So the CIO example of somebody swapping out every three years and coming up with a new transformation plan is generational thinking. Uh, the same thing when, when every time any of us gets over the age of 40, you start talking about, oh, well, you know, the kids back in my day, we weren't doing like that. The kids mm -hmm. now, every old person says that. 5G, 4G, 3G, 2G, 1G, 9G, 10G. The fact that we have these generations in the mobile industry that cycle out every decade means we think generationally. Right? The alternative to this, which is cloud native, is what does it mean to be continuous? Can we continuously improve? Can we continuously get better? Right? Can we be continuous? So this is not something that happens on a three, five, seven, ten-year cycle. How can we be continuous in this? We want to bring this time scale down to something that allows us to get faster and faster and faster and better and better and better at this. Because good technologies that you do should have that exponential feeling to them. Not these little generational stair step shit, right? Um, and, I, and I think um, the more people focus on the exact, you know, how something's happening, uh, the less they lose sight of it, of really sort of like why you're doing it and what we're trying to accomplish. And, and the reasons why, honestly, don't change much, so... All right. Okay. You know, the most common thing is when someone says, "Oh, you know, we're we're going to go, we're going to go, you know, we're doing our new application in like nine different microservices," and it's like, "Okay, so you have nine teams that hate each other." <laughs> <laughs> do we have time? I know you're a little time compressed. Uh, do we have time for a couple more? Yeah, yeah, we're good. All right. Uh, the next one is uh, an article called. Um, well, let's see which one I want to do if we have. Okay, getting ahead in telecommunications with an edge computing strategy. Yep. And here's a little poll from this one. Across the network from the core to the edge, telcos need to consider how data and analytics should be managed. This kind of connects with what you were just saying. Some data will inherently be processed centrally and other assets at the edge. The data strategy in this context plays the role of ensuring that, data, that edge data and distributed often autonomous decision making is informed by central intelligence and vice versa. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could keep going with this, but I, you, you kind of get the idea. Um, geospatial, temporal, and time series analytics are examples of critical capabilities in an edge strategy for telecoms providers. Yeah, it goes, I mean, I mean, one, you know, of course, the, the gentleman's, I mean, this is a standard sort of, I mean, he's from Teradata, so of course it's going to be a, a, you know, it's a marketing stuff. He's correct uh, in that, um, Operators do actually have to think, what's my, what, I'm going to build an edge and I'm going to put everything on it. Edge is operators doing cloud within the context of their networks. Uh, and, uh, and it's also basically all the stuff that's, you know, <laughs> left over on, on premise and, and everything else like that. Right. 
the big thing that we've talked about before is operators have to think about what what are all the emerging devices that come after the smartphone. And when you start looking at all the different use cases that everybody's doing, they're different from the past in that, uh, one, you can almost think of it like voice messaging media, right? We've been doing phone calls. We've been doing like messaging where you like message each other on iMessage and everything or text right. message. And we've been doing um, it's like media, streaming video, right? So th th those things will largely still continue, but they'll be flowing in different ways and have different requirements. So for example, voice right now is two humans talking to each other in a bi-directional near real-time communication, right? right. Uh, maybe the feature of voice is that, but you're talking to Jarvis. You know, your Alexa, you're online. Meaning like any device that you're basically on, you have the ability to go and have voice as an input to a system that's not a human being on the other side. And we still know that we, none of us have that Jarvis-like experience. I mean, Jarvis from Iron Man, okay? Yeah, of course. Have that type of experience in any sort of, like, voice thing out there, right? No, I mean, you mean, none of us have a conversation with a robot. No. It's awesome. Never. There's no robots podcasting like, like, like you and me yet. Not yet. So if you start looking at what does it take to do that whole next series of voice where it's not a human talking to a human but a human talking to a machine – there's a lot of stuff to do there, right? And turns out it's basically a bunch of stuff that would run on edge. Similar thing, you could actually think of, um, if you look at the base technology behind any type of traffic management of flying devices or autonomous cars or you know coordination systems or anything involving the latency story or anything else, if you look at the core of that, that's a big distributed messaging system. But rather than people text messaging it where it shows up wherever or whenever, these are highly reliable real-time messaging systems that are responsible to go control things that are physical in the real world. Well, clearly, if we want to do stuff like that, the current text messaging infrastructure is not going to fucking apply, right? Yeah. Okay. And then right now, we all consume video. But if you look at like what the guy's talking about here is smart homes, smart cities, drone delivery, smart real estate, waste management, all these types of things have a lot of video coming into the network, a lot of data coming into the network where stuff is done to that data, uh, you know, and then sometimes it feeds back to a control system that changes the behavior of, of, of the end device, whether that device is a building or a city or a drone, right? Right. Um, and so, yes, if you look at the next 10, 15, 20, 25 years, and you just think of right now, we're going to go from humans talking to humans, humans messaging humans, uh, and uh, from humans watching videos, to a bunch of video coming in, to machines controlling machines, humans controlling machines, humans talking to machines, and machines talking to each other, maybe. Right? You know, so that will require different stuff. True. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. These other ones, I think, are... Uh, we have a similar thing. You know, here we go. 5G and Edge, the convergence accelerates. Yes. Yeah. Again, you know, it's like... Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know why they have to keep on saying 5G. You know what's funny is in about two, three years, people are going to just be like, oh, you know, I start talking about 6G. But again, it's that generational thinking, man. We got to, like, that's that's the whole thing. We got to break. Like, nothing is going to make me happier than when we stop thinking that these, you know, let's, let's improve our network every 10 years is somehow <laughs> the approach. You know what I mean? Right. 
what will what will push that change? What will make people not think that way? Uh, well, I mean, the most the most common thing is somebody who comes and doesn't think that way and is on a totally different unit economics that then goes and disrupts the market. Yeah, um, you have that. Um, I mean, mobile networks at the end of the day are anchored in a uh, government regulated and owned and leased asset class that is airwaves. Uh, and so, you know, we're probably not going to have cross border, you know, regulatory environments for airwaves anytime soon because they're so embedded in what a country does and what that country's military does. So we'll continue to have sort of these network operators that exist on a per country basis, uh, you know, like that, um, you know, it's not going to be, you know, Hey, I'm a global mobile operator that operates in 189 countries. You know, we're not going to have like that, you know, type situation. Um, but you know, I think, uh, you know, it's a classic thing where there, there are unit economic limits to the way people currently do things. Uh, you know, there's a lot of short termism and generational thinking. And I, and I, and I think, you know, you start running up against the edge of what you want to do from a unit economic standpoint. And, you know, once somebody shows up in a market that is on a different unit economics than you are. Maybe that's, you know, what Dish is trying to do here in the U.S. with AWS. Maybe oh, it's what right. it's been doing. Maybe it's like what a Reliance Geo is doing. Maybe it's what a fourth operator in Italy might do. But, you know, occasionally when you have these types of, oh, there's a new device and a new use case and let's do this and we're going to build a new capability here and take a totally different approach. And if you're, you know, a penny on the dollar, you're going to be pretty disruptive, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Whew. Well, there's more, there are more links in the show notes. If people would like to go there, they can. It's uh, livingontheedge.show. And, yeah, and there's, just, you know, there's stuff on video and doing video. And, and then, you know, of course, how Deutsche Telekom continues to do great financially and uh, stuff like that. But uh, that was, uh, I mean, you know, honestly, we, we just packed a lot and, 30 minutes. Yeah. It's like a master's class. That was like a, that was like a total matrix, like download. <laughs> it really was. I know it's Kung Fu. Cloud. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do it. Um, yeah. And, uh, apologies for the monologue, Dan. No, that I, I think we need that every week now. <laughs> I don't know. It's just it, you know, the, um, you know, like, yeah, I feel like Bill Murray and Groundhog Day, except that the topic is cloud. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it's like. You've been doing this for about 10,000 years now. No, but there, there are also just, there are elements of it that to, to do it well requires you to tackle like hard, some hard human issues. Sure. Uh, and, um, and I, and I think that that type of thing of that intersection of what's your operational capabilities, what's your culture, what technology you're doing, how are you making decisions, how are you making choices? You know, as you can imagine, just just like the whole thing of, you know, moving from waterfall development to agile development is the same thing of like how do you get from generational thinking to continuous thinking, right? It's 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 how do you sort of go and and have a, a long term strategy and you know how do you start sort of up leveling things to you know something that that you're not you're not sort of constantly undoing or redoing or or backsliding or you know that kind of thing every three five seven ten years. But thank you, Dan. Yeah, of course. 
I appreciate the time. Of course. Where were you at? Yeah, everything's going good. Uh, people can find you. And you're actually, I, I saw someone tweeted you on Twitter and you replied. So pe- you are live on Twitter. Jason H. Is now you'll find Jason on Twitter. I'm at Dan Benjamin. And of course, we'd love to get your thoughts, feedback by going to livingontheedge.show. You can click the contact link and send us an email. We'd love to hear from you there too. And uh, that's all we got this week. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Jason, for the very insightful comments this time. I, I think you've got to have it as a site every week. This is what we're going to expect now from now on. Huh? What do you so mean? Get ready. I don't know, man. Yeah. It's going to happen. All right. Depends. I've had two cups of coffee this morning, so I'm See, ready. See, that's the recipe. That's what we need. Two cups prior to the show. Yeah. I haven't pooped, so I'm antsy. <laughs> Have a good week, Jason. Bye, then. Bye.